Well, Dennis just leaned over and let me know that I preached the first Sunday that he came here. And I'm surprised he didn't go visit a third church. But uh, I'm very glad that I get to preach his last Sunday as well. And I'll let you guys know, I experienced a phenomenon over the past three weeks since the last time I preached. For some reason, people keep coming up and giving me side hugs, okay? And I know where that came from. That came from my opening illustration when I preached three weeks ago, but you didn't get it. I said it was weird, okay? (laughs) I don't want side hugs, so Stuart Bullman, please stop hugging me. when I was a little boy, we had a standard prayer that we would pray before meals. And I'm sure many of you have heard it and may have even used it yourself. It goes like this. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Do you guys remember that one or some variation of it? Well, as a little boy, I heard it and I learned it a little different. Since my mind was on food every time we prayed it, Here's what I heard and here's what I learned. God is good, God is grape, like the fruit that grows on the vine. Let us, the stuff you make salad out of, thank him for our food, amen. You can see where my mind was as a little boy. It was all about the food. And to be honest, it haven't changed that much. Uh, Well, we're gonna look at these let us passages in the letter to the Hebrews, what one preacher called the tossed salad of Hebrews. You get it? Lettuce, toss salad. So we're going to look at these let us commands in the letter of Hebrews as we seek to learn what it means to make Jesus greater together as the church. The let us phrase, which is found all throughout the letter of Hebrews, should indicate to us that these are things that we do together as the church, not simply as individuals. And hopefully we will see how much we actually need one another in the pursuit to make Jesus greater. Before we do this, we need to pray. So pray with me. Father, even now, we are experiencing your grace because we are together. We are together singing songs that lift you high that praise you. We are together sitting under the teaching of your scriptures. We do this together, so we are thankful. So as we do this, Father, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you rightly and understand your word correctly, and as a result, glorify you. Amen. So I have a a question for you, and I really would appreciate it if you would respond by raising your hands, if this is true. How many of you played some form of team sports growing up? Raise your hands. Keep your hands up. Don't don't put them down. Uh, If your hands are down, raise them if you uh, were in a group or on a team in school or in college or at work at some point. Okay? Raise your hands if you were in band or chorus or in a musical group together. Now raise them high, keep them high, look around the room. Almost every one of us knows what it's like to be on a team. When you're on a team, everyone works together for a common goal. It's very different from individual sports like boxing or golf. All of your training, all of your preparation, all of your hard work, even your individual efforts and performance is ultimately for the good of the team. 
This is why we get so upset at teammates who don't pull their own weight. You see, their, their slacking off negatively affects the team. The athlete on a team has a completely different mindset than the individual sport athlete. And as we look at these let us passages in the letter to the Hebrews, I want us to keep this team mentality in the back of our minds. For the short phrase let us occurs 14 times in Hebrews should indicate to us that Christianity is a team sport. The author does not write let me or let you. Instead, he writes, let us. So we're going to look at each of these 14 let us passages through the lens of a team. And as we do, you will notice that each of these let us passages can be grouped under one of four exhortations. Let us be faithful. Let us be near. Let us be mature and let us be worshipful. Now, as I read that list, obviously there are individual aspects to each of these. But similar to a football player who hits the weight room in the offseason to come back a stronger athlete with greater endurance, his strength and his endurance will be used to help the team as soon as they step on the field together. So my hope is that as we look at these passages this morning, we will be reminded of how much we actually need one another in our pursuit to make Jesus greater. So let's do this. Our first let us passage is found in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 where we are exhorted or encouraged to be faithful. Listen to this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This verse in 4.11, which we're about to read, are in a section where the, we as the listeners are challenged by the negative example of the wilderness generation. That generation failed to trust God and as a result did not enter his rest. This verse reminds us that the offer and promise to enter God's rest still stands. The question is, will we believe and enter that rest or will we, like the wilderness generation, not enter due to unbelief? In the verse, we are specifically called to fear. Now, the fear that we are called to have here is not a debilitating fear like standing face to face with a wild rhinoceros. No, that, that would paralyze us. That's a crippling fear. No, the fear that we're exhorted to have here is a fear more similar to a skydiver who checks his equipment twice before he jumps out of the plane. It's a fear that motivates us to obedience, for as you know, obedience is an evidence of faith. So we're exhorted to fear, to obey, and to ultimately to believe in God, to have an unwavering faith in him so that we will enter God's rest together. And our second let us verse continues this thought, 411. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here we are challenged to strive or to make every effort to enter God's rest. And as we remember that it was unbelief that kept the wilderness generation from entering, it is faith then that you and I are striving for. For faith leads to rest. This is why we should cry out with the apostles, Lord, increase our faith. Now as God 
grants us faith, we must hold on to that faith. Listen to our next two let us verses, 414. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 1023, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You and I have a great high priest who has entered a better sanctuary. He is in heaven, he is in the presence of God, and he is our faithful advocate. Because of these truths, we are exhorted in both of these verses to hold fast to our confession to our faith. Now Shelly and I like to go backpacking twice a year. It's something we love to do together. But I remember the first time we took our kids with us. You'll see in the photo behind me, Hunter was probably about 14 and Brooklyn was around 12. And we were hiking the Art Loeb Trail in Pisgah National Forest going up to Shining Rock. Well, Brooklyn loved it and Hunter hated it. I almost put a picture of him just laying in this field where he's exhausted and miserable. He just wants to get back home to his PlayStation. That's pretty much how it goes with kids, right? One loves it, one hates it. Well, I remember the first summit we reached, which was Tennant Mountain. And I don't know if you can read the plaque. You probably can't, but it's 6,040 feet in altitude. And Brooklyn, who is our adventurer, got really close to the edge. So what did I do? I did what any good parent would do, and I grabbed her arm and clenched it as tight as I could, just in case she stumbled and went over the edge, for that's what we do when we love someone, and also because my wife told me to. Um, But I want you to do something for me. It may be a little weird, but I want you to close your eyes. So close your eyes, and I want you to imagine someone you love deeply. With eyes closed, can you picture them? Now, I want you to envision them on a cliff where they stumble and they start to go over the edge, but at the last minute, you grab their hand. They are dangling over death, and the only thing keeping them safe is your grip. How tight is that grip? You can open your eyes now. Now, it's with the same strength and the same intensity that we are called to hold on to our faith. We squeeze it as tightly as we can because we value it so. We're exhorted to not let it slip through our fingers. We should cling to it. We should hold fast. We are called to be faithful. And as we've already noted, our pursuit to be faithful is not an individual effort. It's not something we do on our own. It's a team sport. So there's not one hand reaching out for the person going over their edge. For our church, there are 600 hands reaching out. That's why these commands begin with let us. Let us fear. Let us strive. Let us hold fast to our faith. An ODG, as Larry puts it, that's his acronym for an old dead guy. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because 
of Jesus Christ. Listen to the last sentence. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. So there are times when your faith will be weak, but your friend's faith will be strong. And we're going to need that friend. In many ways, you'll be holding on to their faith because your personal faith is too weak to hold you up. You see, we desperately need one another. So who are those friends for you? Whose faith becomes your faith when you are struggling? On the other side of that equation, whose friend are you? Whose faith do you encourage by your own faith? You see, we desperately need one another as we seek to be faithful. Being faithful is a team sport. Now, our second collection of let us passages encourages us to be near, to be near to Jesus. 4.16 reads this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see here that as we draw near to Jesus, we receive mercy and grace. If you want to know where to find mercy and grace in your time of great need, it is found in no other place than the loving lap of your Savior. The closer we are to Jesus, the closer we are to the mercy and grace we so desperately need. So the author exhorts us to draw near. 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The author calls us to draw near in confidence, and he reminds us that we have been purified and made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice. His blood has cleansed our conscience so that we can approach him with full assurance. The wrath of God has been fully absorbed by his son on our behalf. Jesus is our great high priest and atoning sacrifice that makes it possible for you and I to approach God with confidence. The gospel causes us to draw near in love instead of standing far off in paralyzing fear. So draw near. Now our next let us verse may seem a little strange at first. Listen to Hebrews 13, 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. We're called to follow Jesus outside the camp. What's What's going on with this verse? Well, the author is reminding us that Jesus had been treated as one who was despised, as unclean, and as unclean, he would have had to go outside the camp. And since we are Christ's followers, we are called to follow him outside the camp, to follow in his steps. Listen to how 1 Peter puts it, 1 Peter chapter 2, 21-23. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
At times, being near to Jesus will mean that we will suffer. But in that suffering, we can be confident that we will receive mercy and grace. Just as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me. Be near to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we draw near to Jesus together, for the closer we are to him, the closer we are to mercy and grace and rest. So who reminds you of these truths? Remember, we're a team. We, we give pep talks to one another. Who encourages you to draw near to Jesus when you are afraid to come close to him because of your shame and your guilt? Who reminds you that you will find mercy and grace with him? Who points you to the guaranteed rest promised to those who will simply come to him? Do you encourage others in your life to do the same? Think of a person in this church who you can encourage with these truths this week. Who do you know that is in need of God's mercy and grace and rest? Will you encourage them to be near? Will you be a good teammate? Now, So far, we've been exhorted to be faithful and to be near. And the next set of let us verses challenges us to be mature. Hebrews 6.1 Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now I think our team sports analogy can be helpful here. For uh, when we played little league sports, whether it was baseball, football, soccer, cheerleading, gymnastics, etc., whatever it was, it would be silly if we never advanced out of those little leagues and went on to high school and for some of us, college sports. If an adult is still playing Pop Warner, then there is something significantly wrong. So I looked it up. The littlest group for tackle football is five years old at 35 pounds. Now imagine you're in the stands watching these adorable little guys get ready for kickoff, and you notice a 25-year-old man, six foot two, 220 pounds, full gladiator beard, run out onto the field and put a helmet on and pads on. You would do everything you could to stop this before it got started. It's absurd. It's downright criminal. You see, we are designed to mature and advance over time. We get taller, we get faster, we get stronger, we get more skilled. So here we are exhorted to leave the elementary doctrines and go on to spiritual maturity. You and I are designed to spiritually mature over time, not stay in Little League. And look at how the next passage encourages us to pursue that maturity. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
This let us passage about maturing in our faith is very explicit that this is accomplished when we work together. The exhortation is to consider how to stir up love and good works in one another. And one of the primary ways we're to do this, according to this passage, is to not neglect meeting together. That we're fully plugged into the church's mission and the ministries that support that mission. Now, since most of us know what it's like to be on a team, I want you to imagine a scenario for me. You're on a football team and a fellow teammate comes to you and tells you that he's going to skip practice so that he can go home and play his new Xbox. What are you thinking? Let me ramp the scenario up just a little bit, okay? Here's the new scenario. It is, it is uh, the week that you're going to play your arch rivals. It's homecoming week and this game will determine whether you go to the state championships or not. And your starting running back comes to you and he tells you that he just asked the it girl out at school and she said yes. And instead of going to the game, he's going to take her to the fair. What are you thinking now? What are you feeling? If you're honest, you're probably feeling some combination of anger, betrayal, frustration. He's letting the team down. How can someone be so selfish. Can't he just wait till the next night? Now, I want to change the scenario just one more time, if you'll allow me. I want to switch it to a member of North Wake Church, and he decides he wants to miss church on Sunday morning, or he wants to miss life change, or he wants to miss small group, or he wants to miss corporate prayer. What, are, what thoughts and emotions do you have in this scenario? I bet if you're honest, your thoughts and your emotions are less intense. Why are these thoughts and emotions not nearly as strong as they were when we were discussing team sports? Have we unfortunately placed a higher value on team sports above that of God's church? Isn't the covenant that we make with one another at least as strong as a sports commitment Shouldn't it be? Isn't God's mission for his church of greater significance than a high school recreational sporting event? Well, for you answer this, how committed are you to North Wake's big games? You see, our big games are corporate worship, study serve, our monthly gathering for prayer, small group and baptisms. Do you miss any of these? What excuses do you give? What are your, I'd rather go play the Xbox or I'd rather take the it girl to the fair reasons? Now, obviously, I'm not talking about real extenuating circumstances because good teammates miss when they're not healthy or when they're injured or something serious comes along. But outside of those, do you fully and faithfully fulfill your membership covenant? We have a sign-up board in the lobby for serve, and there are still spots on it. If you have signed up already, thank you for being a good teammate. If you haven't, will you decide to be a good teammate today? Remember that this passage exhorts us to not neglect meeting together. You and I, we show up for the big games, and we do this for the purpose of stirring up love and good works in one another. 
Being mature means being highly committed to one another. Church, we must reclaim our love for and our commitment to one another. We must be good teammates. Now our next verse does not have let us in it. But as you know, no salad is complete without dressing. So I'm going to dress this sermon up just a little bit with the one one another passage that's not included in the let us passage. And it's one of my favorites. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This passage assumes that we will regularly gather together. It says that we need each other's encouragement every day. Because our encouragement to each other protects us from becoming calcitrant by sin. Hard-hearted. And as dangerous as hard-heartedness is, I think this passage reminds us that there is one even more destructive. The deceitfulness of sin. You see, our sin self-deceives. We can become blinded by our own sin. It's fascinating. We are able to see the sin so easily in someone else and yet at the same time be so foolishly oblivious to our own sin. I heard a story one time of a gentleman who had a very important job interview and he got up early in the morning, he put on his very best suit, he took a cab to the company's address and when he arrived at the company's address, it was at the top floor of one of the most prestigious buildings in the city. A tall skyscraper with beautiful architectural design. And as the elevator reached his floor, he stepped out into a magnificent lobby where he was greeted by a very well-dressed professional receptionist who told him it would be just a few minutes to make himself comfortable and to please enjoy a freshly baked bagel that was set out on the table. And since he had been so nervous about the interview, he had skipped breakfast. So as he waited, he found the aroma of the freshly baked bagels irresistible. About 10 minutes went by and the receptionist finally told him that they were ready for him. And the the gentleman stood up. He buttoned the top button of his tailor-made suit. He straightened his tie. He grabbed the leather briefcase that contained his resume and references. And he was walking confidently towards the conference room. And at the last minute, the secretary reached out and grabbed him and stopped him. And says, don't go in yet. And he says, why not? Why not go in yet? She says, you have a glob of cream cheese on your beard. You see, as he had ate those bagels, some cream cheese had gotten on his beard. And he wasn't able to see it. But the receptionist could. You see, we need other people to help us see the things that we can't see. Many times we can't see our own sins. And we need the help of brothers and sisters who will lovingly help us. So that we don't walk around with cream cheese all over our face. So who are those friends for you? Who in the church cares enough about you to point out your sins? Who do you care enough about to point out theirs? We need each other to help us see what we can't see on our own. 
And Hebrews 12.1 continues to exhort us to be mature when we read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Shelly and I backpack twice a year. One of those trips is usually for just her and I, a little marriage getaway. And on the other, we usually go with a group. And one of our favorite group trips was with the group pictured on the screen behind me. You'll recognize a few of the faces there. And for a few of the people, this was their first backpacking trip. And it began to show on day two. Day one was pretty easy, but day two, we were going about eight or nine miles and we had ups and downs on the elevation. And so about three miles in, one of the ladies in our group, which I'll remain nameless to protect our relationship and our friendship, she began complaining and taking a lot of breaks. We were planning the trip. She thought she would have been fine because she had just recently finished a half marathon. And she thought, well, if I can run a half marathon, surely I can walk eight miles in the woods. But what she failed to factor in was the weight of the backpack. How many people run half marathons with a 40-pound pack on their back? It's very different. Well, as I mentioned, we began to take more breaks, and the breaks become more frequent. And eventually she collapsed in the middle of a very narrow trail on the side of a mountain, about four to five miles from our campsite, from the nearest campsite. The group couldn't stop here, and we were in a predicament at this point. So what did we do? Well, Robert Thomas and myself was the most experienced backpackers at the time, and we knew we needed to get her moving again quickly. So we said, I tell you what, if we take the backpack off your back, if we take that weight off of you, can you simply walk? One step after the other, just walk with nothing on your back. Her tears began to dry up. She wiped them from her face and she said, yes, I think I can. If you guys take the weight off my back, I think I can continue. You see, like backpacking, our sin weighs us down. And not only that, it weighs the group down. On a backpacking trip, you're only as fast as your slowest member. So what sins are you carrying around that weigh you down and weigh the church down as a result? What sins do you need to lay aside for your own good, but also for the good of others? What slows you down in your walk with God? And are you willing to get rid of it so that you can run the race that God has set before you? As soon as we took the backpack off this young lady, she stood up. She began walking and made it the remaining five miles to the campsite. And we're still friends. <laughs> By laying aside her every weight, she was able to finish the hike that was set before her. Are you willing to do the same. Now up until this point, we have been encouraged to be faithful, to be near and to be mature. And remember that it is let us. Let us be faithful. Let us be near. Let us be mature. 
And the last two let us verses encourage us to be worshipful. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. When we remember that we are heirs in God's kingdom, a kingdom where Christ is and his glory is on full display for all eternity, then the only proper response is wholehearted gratefulness. This gratefulness is the only acceptable worship. With reverence and awe, we give thanks to God. Hebrews 13, 15 supports this when we read in our last let us verse, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. How often should we offer up praise according to this verse continually? All the time. Together, you and I are to be in a continual state of worship to God. And if we're to be in a continual state of worship to God together, then we need each other more than just Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is insufficient. I need you and you need me more than we ever imagined. For each of you in this room is a catalyst for my worship of God. Your worship is contagious. As I observe Gregory Curtis raise his hands that has welled up the worship inside of him, I am moved to worship. As I listen in small group to Mary Catherine Lasseter tell me what God is teaching her through the word, it moves me to worship. As I sit in life change classes and I hear that new believer's light bulb go on inside of his head, it moves me to worship. When we gather collectively as a church to pray in unity as one body, I am moved to worship. Each and every one of you enhances my worship. Church, I need you and you need me. We need each other to experience the fullest expression of our worship of our great God. You see, our worship is contagious. It's a team sport. And in sticking with our team's our sports theme, our team's goal is nothing less than wholehearted worship of God where he becomes our supreme affection. This is what we are pursuing together. And it perfectly fits our theme this year, which is Jesus is greater. Our goal is to make him greater than everything else. And we accomplish this goal together as a church body by being faithful, by being near, by being mature, and by being worshipful. But just like any sport, we have an opponent an enemy that is doing everything he can with his team to stop us from making Jesus greater. The Bible says that our opponent is a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's an adversary who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When I was a kid, we didn't have Animal Planet or Discovery Channel. I know I'm dating myself a little bit here. We had to wait for Sunday afternoons to watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom with Marlon Perkins. 
If you're older than 35, can I get an amen? amen? All right. We would gather around the TV set as a family to watch wildlife. I know that seems weird. That's what we would do. We'd gather around the TV set to watch wildlife. And as a boy, I was just hoping it would be the episode about the lions. The ones where the lions would find a herd of wildebeest and go in for the kill. That's just what boys do, I think. But as you know, lions are very intelligent hunters. For they know that they cannot take down a wildebeest when it's with its herd. Even if it's a weaker, younger member. When it's with the herd, it's safe. Wildebeests are too big and too strong when they are together. So here's what lions do. Actually, it's not the lions at all, right? The lions are lazy. They send the ladies out, the lionesses, to do all the work. But we'll save that talk for the men's retreat. Um, No, the, the lionesses identify that younger and weaker member of the herd. And they strategically place themselves in position. And when the time's right, they pounce and they get their herd running. They create enough chaos to where they get that weaker member separated from the herd. And once they have that weaker member isolated, they attack. They go in for the kill. Our adversary does the same thing. And unfortunately, I have seen this happen to church members more than once. A member slowly begins to drift off and finds himself or herself disconnected from the church. Sure, they may come on Sunday mornings, but they're not what we would call or describe a fully engaged member. And once our, our adversary has them isolated, he attacks Remember that the scriptures teach us that he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He comes only to kill and destroy. He has the same M.O. as lions in the wild. But if we will heed the author of Hebrews' exhortations and stick together like a herd, like a team, like the church is supposed to do, we will be safe. As long as we stick close together, our adversary has no chance. For we are too strong together. So church, let us be faithful. Let us be near. Let us be mature. And let us be worshipful. As we pursue these together as a team, we will grow in our love for one another. We will make Jesus greater, and we will protect each other from our adversary. Remember, Christianity is a team sport. We need each other. Pray with me. Father, we have experienced your grace this morning simply by the fact that we were together. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning. I pray as we have looked at your word, these 14 passages sprinkled all throughout the letter to the Hebrews, that we were reminded this morning of how important it is for us to be together. How important it is for us to encourage one another, to be faithful, to be near, to be mature, and to be worshipful. Help us not walk out of this building today and forget these things. 
Help us to, to implement them, to make changes in our life so that we are good teammates for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray this in Christ.